0: Hello survivors
1: and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 70 where we reflect on the final chapter, no not the Anderson one, the Perry one, as we conclude our coverage on the Resident Evil Perry novelizations in Book Club Zero Hour. My name is Sy and joining me on the panel this week, if he was a weird virus infected hive mind Pet and his owner got murdered by their colleagues and he took control of their body and became a bizarre new shape-shifting life form... What would the world do? It's fire button, Steve Balance. And the world will burn in an inferno of... Hi, everybody. <laughs> Obedience breeds discipline. Discipline breeds unity. Unity was used to make Among Us. Sus AF. James, aka Moist Owlet, say the line. Wet ripping sounds? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I meant Among Us, but that's a good scene. Oh, 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 oh. and swooping in for a clutch podcast guest role reprisal like a gigantic bat out of hell it's resident evil family fortunes host retina prime
0: hello everyone
1: Every episode of First Aid Spray is recorded live on our Discord server, so join now to hear the show early and unedited, and to become part of our fantastic little community where we discuss life, the universe, and Resident Evil. You can find a link to the server, as well as all of our social media profiles at our website, faspraypod.com. It's the support of our listeners that keeps First Aid Spray going, so why not check out our merchandise or our Patreon page. Tears begin at just $1 a month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Pod for a full list and the chance to create bonus First Aid Spray content. We've had one of those really busy months in terms of content, so let me run down a big old list of uh, delicious First Aid Spray offerings that you can now partake in. If you're a Patreon, You've got early access to the latest episode of Tear Death Experience, where we sat down, we ranked save themes, wanted to do another music uh, oriented. Tier experience, so we ranked final boss themes. Just the sort of mainline titles for now, but if it does well, maybe we'll do all the uh, spin-offs and such. In terms of stuff that's fit for public consumption that's come out for everyone in the last few weeks, we have, speaking of music, the latest episode of Now That's What I Call Survival Horror with Steve's top 10 tracks from Resident Evil Revelations 2. Our bonus episode on the classic sort of pseudo- Survival Horror Pseudo-RPG, Parasite Eve. That was a great time. Uh, We have new episodes out of A Moment of Relief. The latest one is Resident Evil themed. So we sat down for an hour and talked about which Resident Evil game do we think should get a remake next, if any at all. Also, we dropped the long-awaited. It's been Patreon exclusive for a long time now. But with the lead-up to Death Island, we thought it was time to drop the full audio commentary for Welcome to Raccoon City that we did back just after release so if you're feeling a rewatch of the film you can put that alongside it and uh, listen to Kelsey Stephen and Sherwin give their thoughts on the movie and slightly different one Aliens Dark Descent review put together entirely by James kind of came out of nowhere we love a little bit of surprise content like that so if you're interested in the recent Aliens game uh, sort of RTS experience go check out what James thought of it over on our YouTube channel it's also worth plugging here as well Retina Uh, just dropped a video that we star in. We talked about it uh, a little while back, but the first episode of Resident Evil Family Fortunes is out. Uh, It's Team First Aid Spray going up against Team RPD, featuring Matt RPD, who long First Aid Spray listeners will know as guest alumni. Um,
0: Wrestling, any clues on what's to come? Any spicy details on the future of that show? Uh, Just that we do have another six teams ready to play. Uh, We will have another episode hopefully soon. Uh, depending on obviously editing schedules and that. And I'm hoping, this isn't a promise yet, but I'm hoping if I can figure it out, I will try to do the final live, but that is not a promise at this point, but I'll see what I can do.
1: (laughs) Yes, that sounds like a nightmare in itself, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to the rest of it and everyone here again. Uh, check out Resina's channel if you haven't before in the description of this podcast go give him a subscribe and uh, yeah watch the rest of those episodes as they come out because you know not only are we a part of Family Fortunes but you'll also see a bunch of names that you'll know from the Resident Evil online community and also just from being guests on First Aid Spray because we sort of we have them all in (laughs) Um, that's everything from us I think Steve would you like to take us into the news please
2: No, there's a proper jingle, Steve. Don't make one up. Our first story. Capcom are discussing the future expansion of the series, which may include remakes of non-numbered titles.
1: So, to give this a bit more context, uh, a recent general shareholder meeting Q&A, Capcom was asked if they plan to continue, and I quote, providing high-end visual remakes of only the main numbered entries in the Resident Evil series, therefore implying the likes of co-veronica obviously and you know survivor um capcom's response was carrying out discussions regarding the future expansions of the series so it can be enjoyed by a wider audience so they didn't confirm or deny it's a nice sitting on the fence of course response which is probably what you're destined to get uh james any thoughts on this do you think we're gonna get a cv remake uh yeah i think as off
3: the tables we'll get outbreak uh the outbreak one right because it's outbreak file one and two and they don't want numbers on there (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> That's a really bad dad joke, by the way. So, just in case nobody got that, <laughs> That's terrible. Um, just but, terrible. But yeah, I hope I hope uh, out since doing like you know the podcast for Outbreak recently as well. I, I actually you know Code Veronica was actually up there uh, as like the top one, but now I, I I want Outbreak more than I want Code Veronica. Um, mm. but yeah, it it would be nice to have. Um, I think uh, you know we spoke. We spoke about this. I feel like every time this comes up, we, I say I repeat myself. But you know there there are some things they would need to change with Code Veronica, right? Like, to, to bring it to the current state of the world and for it to be accepting and and stuff. And you know I think Capcom can do that because they've already done that with previous remakes. Um, and the same goes with the outbreak, uh, the outbreak games as well. If they can just stop uh, throwing uh, failure multiplayer games that us and give us games that actually work and have been known to work like Outbreak for instance until they close the service down then I think you will have a very happy fandom
1: Yeah, two slam dunks potentially right there uh, Steve, how are you feeling about the potential I know obviously we talked about this in a more but like, how are you feeling about the potential of non-numbered remakes
2: I mean, personally I'm on the I've always, I think I said this before, that you know I welcome a remake of CV for the reasons that I want a version of CV that I can and it fully enjoyed to play. Like, mm-hmm. I can appreciate its merits now, but I'm much younger, Steve. Hated that to death. And even then, I still have my foibles with it. I'm just... There's a part of me in the back of my mind that say they cross that line, say they hit that, like, break glass for CV remake button. What <laughs> happens to Steve Burnside? And I say this because look what happened to Carlos. Right, like, You know, yeah. Look what happened to Luis. Yeah, like, argue... Not, not necessarily disliked characters, but characters that kind of fell into the background. Now, I i want to live in a world where i can say wholeheartedly i really like steve burnside
1: <laughs> what a redemption happen.
2: arc that that could happen and that 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 kind of excites me but I, if i had to choose between outbreak and cv i'm sorry i'm on team outbreak all the way <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay well since the conversation has gone that way rest how are you feeling what what remake what non-numbered remake would interest
0: you the most Um, I'll be perfectly blunt, just any of them would be good. I mean, Code Veronica is the one I'd like to see. I mean, obviously, mostly with the remakes, I've been a bit concerned with some of the chops and changes they've made, like they've removed bits and pieces that I didn't really like. But um, I'm a bit concerned that maybe if they do it too much with Code Veronica, like they did with, say, 3, they might remove too much of its charm or some of the bits I liked. I mean... Honestly, the bit I don't want them to remove at all is that moment underneath the medical building with the guy having all those torture chambers. That was yeah one of yeah. the most eerie and haunting places I ever played, and it still gives me chills every time I go back there. Um, I think they could really do that a lot of justice and make it great. Mm. But honestly, the fact is we've had you know numbered remakes and main entry re- re- main entry numbered games for the past what seven or s- seven or five years or so, and yeah. it'd, be, it'd be good to have something that's not a mainline title that either can be tied into the main series or is its it's own enclosed story. I'd like to see more separate stories for a change rather than just, let's just look at Chris or Ethan, well, look through his eyes, not him anymore, Um, Mm. considering Mm. they're blasted a lot of the place. Um, uh, Just, yeah, just give us something as a spin-off for a change and make it good. But yeah, Code Veronica, just make sure you fix that fire extinguisher.
1: (laughs) Yeah, fair play, really. Uh, Steve, next uh, topic.
2: So our last and strange story: Prime One Studio reveal a gigantic Lady Dimitrescu statue that comes with a hefty price tag. I'm
1: talking hefty, uh, you can pre-order now from the PrimeOneStudio.com website for. Hold on to your seats, everyone. One thousand six hundred and forty-nine dollars. <laughs>
3: You're on a giraffe. <laughs> I, I I just want to point out that's probably that's middle range with Prime One stuff.
1: Yeah, their stuff is always expensive. Um, this thing is a one to four scale. I'm not exactly sure. There you go. Almost twenty six inches tall. So it's it's a pretty hefty thing. And also if you pre-order. There's a, a limited to 500 pieces uh, additional statue as well of the sort of crystal Lady D that you get as a reward for beating her, which is really neat. Uh, but it, yo, that's expensive. Um, I mean, Stephen James and I, we talked, we, you know, we cover these kind of things occasionally. And I think we have not a whole lot to say on the subject at this point, because none of us are particularly... Uh, and just collecting statues and stuff <laughs> like that. We all look at it and go, that's pretty, but like, wouldn't spend my money on it. But, Resonate, are you more of a collector type than we are? Would you be, you know, <laughs> maybe price notwithstanding, would you be interested in this?
0: Well, to be honest, I did just cough at that price, but that was my own fault. Um, uh, <laughs> honestly, most of the stuff I've got is kind of handmade on my own now, so I don't really tend to buy yeah. a lot of the stuff unless it's, I guess it's been brought up a lot, is that, I try to go for the stuff that's affordable for regular fans. I don't, I don't feel like going for like a limited edition fifteen foot bust of Jill with her boobs out or whatever people want. I don't know what they want these days. They probably want anything, um, but just something affordable tied to the series. Maybe a prop or hell, I'd I'd have loved to have that music box from Code Veronica that came out as a limited edition years ago. I would have loved that, but even that costs more than Lady Dimitrescu's uh, new statue yeah and that's quite scary yeah I
1: think we we've, we've talked about it before a little bit to be fair because you're spot on because a lot of Resident Evil merchandise is just so bad like we've made fun of the t-shirts in recent <laughs> years that are just awful and other than that they just kind of slap the umbrella and or stars logo on things and just call it a day do you remember when we covered the first aid spray and it, it wasn't a don't even think it was officially licensed. It might not have been, but it wasn't coming directly from Capcom either way. The first eight spray energy drink. It was like, that's really neat and niche and like knowing and you'd be cool to put it on your shelf. But again, that was like crazy overpriced. So it was just not. It, really it was like 300 pounds, wasn't it? It was, it was quite absurd. Uh Yeah, but you're right. Like little memorabilia, like replica things would be really cool that aren't just... And I'm guilty because I own these, but like drinks coasters with umbrella logos on them, you know. there probably more to it than <laughs> I,
3: that. So I think here's his my two cents as well because I haven't said this before, and I've been like kind of I've been I've been subscribed to Dark Horse stuff recently and their figurines they have been making. I think maybe Capcom should look into Dark Horse stuff mm. um, and try and get them as a as a, a license or, or get Dark Horse a license to Capcom because they've been doing very well with cheaper statues and really nice like little collectibles that you can have for like all, all my favorite franchises and i think it, it would it would work with capcom as well um oh yeah and just uh just so everybody knows rather that lady dimitrescu lady um is half the size well just above half the size of a average ramon salazar
1: <laughs> yeah fair I mean, to be fair, when it comes to Dark Horse or anybody, you know what Capcom's like. Dark Horse just need to look at them and Capcom will be begging for some kind (laughs) of collaboration because they'll work with anyone. And that's not necessarily, that's not a bad thing by any means. They're happy to collaborate with whoever. So, you know, there. They
3: lost, like, so much recently uh, through Disney. So, yeah, they're definitely going to be wanting to get anything at the moment.
1: (laughs) Capcom's got a good back, you know, catalog of recognisable characters, so, yeah, who knows? Steve, any thoughts on gigantic, well, miniature gigantic Lady D? I mean,
2: it's it's neat. Like, I, I think it looks kind of cool, but also, I, I'd never afford that. That's, uh, that's a sizable chunk of real-world Steve's pay packet right there. Like, <laughs> um, On the subject of wider collectibles, though, like, I, I would love to live in a world where I could deck out an office filled with stuff. I've got to be honest. Like, but I... I feel like, had this been one of the Fly Witches, I know there's at least one member of our Discord server who probably would have broken their bank. You know, I, I believe uh, Cassandra. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> but, no, in general speaking, I, th- I think it's cool this exists. Yeah. I, I personally, you know, Lady D wasn't for me. I'd probably want to go for something a bit more freaky, like, you know, Moreau or maybe even yeah. Mecca Heisenberg or Miranda. But, it- you know, I appreciate that she, she is a standalone character who has, like, fans outside of Resident Evil, so... That's probably going to be true. a big
1: draw. Yeah.
3: I like i. I also want to point out as well because me like we're talking about yellow gem ecto in chat right now, right? And <laughs> like fan of the channel who loves, but we were talking about it. There's enough Lady Dimitrescu out there, you know. There's enough of her. We don't need any more, right? And there are eee. so many more like interesting, cool like designs in Resident Evil Village than Dimitrescu. Yeah, like you know the uh, like you know Steve. We brought up as well like the 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 daughters you know they are so cool and they're so unique each one of them they have so many details and uh, you say you say, got Moreau as well even Heisenberg as well with his final form would have been dope right uh, yeah. I I did I did have a look at that prime one like a closer look at it you know we we can you know we're valid in saying it we can cry about you know the price and stuff but when you have a look at that you can see why it's why it's that price
1: oh yeah it looks incredible for sure it's incredible yeah
3: it's it's fantastic but it's a lot.
1: You, you, but, will you it have then.
3: lore? Will it have extra lore? <laughs> <topics that are laughs> yeah. now canon?
1: No, it's not a gun, so no. Oh, thank goodness. Um, yeah, like, you can sort of see why that it's over, right? because she is so popular. You, uh, you have to sort of um, like see it and be like, yeah, of course that's the character they pick. That's the character that everybody's going to pick yeah. when they do Merchant Escape. I agree that it's a shame. Eventually it will run out, eventually, you, you know, when they stop doing village stuff by the time RE9 comes around or whatever. Like she'll only have this sort of level of popularity up to a certain point um, because she's just she's only going to be starring in Village. Yeah. Spoiler alert. There is actually that Um,
0: (laughs) there is a concept that there is actually a nightmare fuel scenario, which is what if they decide to make a statuette of the Beneviento baby? <laughs> oh, I'm, I would, I'm, I would, I'm talking I would, I would like it comes with a. I'm, I'm talking it comes with a slime pack you put all over it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> it, it it'll just
2: flashbacks uh, but, uh, Just talking uh, but about this. Better, yeah. <laughs> it's
0: like that singing fish you used to have as a kid. You walk past it and you how you
1: I was waiting for something like that. That is the perfect point to end the news on. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And now, reading excerpts from S.D. Perry's Resident Evil Zero Hour novel, Michael Young, who you can follow on Twitter, at Cosblade.
4: Rebecca spun toward the sound, aiming the flashlight at 9mm at the shrub. The light caught the last of the movement, the leaves still shaking, the beam from her flashlight trembling along with them. She took a step closer, swallowing dryly, counting backward from 10. Whatever it was, it was gone now. A raccoon is all. Or maybe someone's dog got loose. She looked at her watch, sure that it must be time to head back, and saw that she'd been on her own for just over five minutes. She hadn't seen or heard anyone else since she'd walked away from the helicopter. It was as though everyone else had fallen off the face of the earth. Or I have, she thought darkly, lowering the handgun slightly, turning to check her position. She'd been heading roughly southwest from the landing point. She'd continue on a few more minutes, then... Rebecca blinked surprised to see a metal wall beneath the flashlight's beam not 10 meters away. She played the light across the surface, saw windows, a door, a train, she breathed, frowning slightly. It seemed like she remembered something about a track up here. Umbrella, the pharmaceutical corporation, had a private line that ran from Latham to Raccoon City, didn't they? She wasn't too certain on the history, she wasn't a local, but she was pretty sure the company had been founded in Raccoon. Umbrella's headquarters had moved off to Europe some time ago, but they still owned practically the entire town. So what's it doing sitting up here, dead in the woods at this time of night?
1: Okay, well, it's taken a long time, but we've arrived at the finale of the verse. Um, I have a strangely uh, nostalgic memory for sitting in a garden in the bright sunshine, reading the first novel for Book Club episode one, and now here we are, several years later, the weather is nasty, but we're, we've done it, guys. We've done the whole Periverse. so we're going to talk about the final book in the series, which is, of course, Zero Hour, returns right back to where we began, Resident Evil Zero. Uh, this was published in October 2004, October 26th, I believe, the first edition, uh, which is odd for a few reasons, because that's quite a significant jump of nearly four years since the last book, Code Veronica. Um, But I don't know, I would suppose personally that that is maybe because Capcom felt that there was no need to novelise something like Outbreak or something like Dead Aim because they are spin-off games, so maybe they thought there'd be less interest. But what is extra odd is that this book comes out, you know, two years after the game did, which is a bit strange. Um, Perry has said in interviews uh, that she had some discussions with other parties about more novelisations But Capcom didn't give it the go-ahead. So this is almost certainly where things end for the Perryverse because it's been 19 years or so, nearly 19 years since the release of this book. So this will almost certainly be the last one we ever read. So we've all given our backstory um, in terms of our first introductions to the Perryverse, the S.D. Perry novels. Rattie, you're new to Book Club, so what's your history with the S.D. Perry novels? You know, how did you come across them? How were you introduced to them? Have you read them before? Uh,
0: Yeah, I discovered um, them by accident through eBay back in... Oh, God, it must be 2006 when uh, I discovered um, the Umbrella Conspiracy and City of the Dead, so I thought I'd go in book order, and I got as far as Nemesis, uh, but I didn't actually read um, the... kind of the sd perry kind of made up ones like underworld and caliban cove and i only just read uh, zero properly over the last weekend as well so i'm kind of a bit all over the place but mm. I've, I've kind of grown with the books and i've kind of collected them over the last 10 years or so and i've finally got them all but i'm trying to work my way through them yeah. so i'm kind of a bit uh, random so i've gone just like my gameplay order i've gone one two three zero and whatever's left that i've got to do still
1: <laughs> well at least as you say you've covered the ones that adapt games um, so that that is something um, yeah it's a weird thing right? with many things the first days well and I've said this before like I've owned them for a long time but I've sort of dipped in and out so the beauty of the podcast is that um reading them for the first time in a lot of cases that is absolutely true of zero hour i think i started it a little while ago but uh, didn't get very far so this is my first time reading it james is obviously your first time reading it steve any prior thoughts on zero hour before now or you know more of the same
2: Uh, honestly more of the same yeah steve got him in a bundle back when he was wee young um -hmm. i kind of this reread for the podcast has put me in a very strange state and i'm Kinda. Of, I'm assuming we're going to talk more about the feelings of the perverse at the whole later, but it's uh, it's left me feeling uh, th- feelings and and thoughts and <laughs> <was> a, tea, <laughs> a bit teeth for the conclusion there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah we'll, uh, we, uh, I
1: think we should talk about it um, as we get to the, that point. Um, okay. So let's start as we always do with this series. Uh, and talk about the covers. Um, I actually could only find three for this. Actually, as I understand it, and I could well be wrong here, but I couldn't find any information on a Japanese uh, publishing of this book. So no sort of fancy original anime art for this one. All I found was the two English uh, ones and the French one, uh, which is, like all the other French ones, is... Just a variation on that theme of the biohazard symbol. Slightly different colour scheme. Steve, how do you feel about them, though, for what you've got?
2: I mean, surprising nobody, yes, the original cover is the only one worth a damn. I kind of feel like it's more on par for being, like, the first game. You know? I know it's meant yes. to be Rebecca's yeah. eye seeing the dog, but at the same token, the first game, it ends, like the, the title screen, little opening vignette, ends with the character's eye, doesn't it, and all that. Mm-hmm. It's evocative of that. And obviously, that's imagery that goes throughout. The entire franchise. Uh, I can also see it's clearly meant to be like, for example, when the dog bursts through the train. So it's an actual narrative moment, which is stronger than just two renders on generic city background and then a spare from 28 days later. Like <laughs> graphic design is my passion too, guys. But Jesus, uh, yeah, nice. no, no question. The original is hands down great. I'm kind of disappointed there isn't a Japanese one because they normally go, "Ooh, or Steve like those." But um, yeah, no, I
1: agree. Disappointment. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ressa, any thoughts on these covers, any preferences, what do you like, don't like?
0: Now, this is going to be weird, but I actually have the French and the UK versions in front of me right now, and I've only just started, oh. not, I've, uh, the reason I've got that is because I stupidly bought it, uh, obviously, like I say, through eBay, and I forgot to check if, what language it was in, and I bought the French <laughs> one by accident at first. And, oh, that's nice. And weirdly, I've got to say, for, for one thing, that obviously the, the covers are so like you said, there's no real difference, apart from obviously colour saturation, but... Weirdly, I sort of prefer the French one. For some reason, it's got mm. it's got a little bit more detail on the Cerberus. It's the eye looks a little bit more defined. I mean, okay, it's not the most imaginative design. I mean, basically, you know, they've basically taken the PS one disc of Resident Evil one and say, okay, let's just use that as a template and sketch over it, and let's see how we can make it look like it's been done in almost a watercolor for a realistic look. That's basically what it's become. But they've thrown in the dog. But yeah, I, I like the French cover. It's, it's nice. It harks back to the classic Resident Evil and. Honestly, it's the first time I've seen um, a Cerberus or a zombie dog uh, with glowing eyes, and something about that just makes it a little <laughs> bit more unsettling. And I, I like it.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm with you guys. Dog in the dog reflecting in the eye is at least the most interesting one. I assume that is meant to be Rebecca's eye. I don't think Rebecca has ever had green eyes. <laughs> just pointing that out there. I did a quick Google. I see blue. I see brown. I'm not. I could be wrong, but. Uh, yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit tired, but it's certainly better than the reprint with uh, Billy and Rebecca's standard character models. Um, and the biohazard symbol over the sort of green splash is fine. Like, uh, if there was just one cover that looked like this, it would be fine. It's just a shame that this language version, um, it's, yeah, it's all the, all the same, isn't it? Like, the Code Veronica was blue or whatever. It's like, okay, it's the same thing. Uh, so, but yeah, this is... Probably the most meh selection out of all of them, I think, for me. But there you go. Okay, so let's actually open up the book and talk about the story of Zero Hour, which obviously, as I say, is an adaption of Resident Evil Zero. Uh, We'll talk more about specifics of how she chose to adapt certain things. But let's just talk about the book as a book, how we feel about the story. Uh, Steve, how did you feel about the Zero Hour as you were sort of reading through it, the pacing and these kind of things?
2: This feels like... Uh, very different from the other ones like very I mean obviously she wrote it a little bit later but it, it, there is a the usual like POV cadences there but there mm. are various narrative beats and obviously it's a little bit more I want to say more of an adaption than the other ones were like there are scenes that are almost beat for beat as they are in the game and there are contrivances she comes up with not, not in a not a dismissive way but there are instead of Trent being like here's a gizmo or here's some like background stuff to cheat she has a more in, I don't want to say in-universe, which is the only thing I can really think of, in the game universe excuse to how the characters progress through the novel a little bit faster than they do Mm in-game. And I was kind of enjoying how how she did that as as the novel plays out. It's strange though, because obviously it being meant to be a quote-unquote origin story, and it feels like we don't really get anything more than what the game gives us, not really. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, it's a bit of a shame.
1: Yeah, I think it's good to lead with Trent as well, obviously, uh, for those who might not be in the know, which might include you, Reta. I don't know how much you... Well, you've read the first book, I guess, because he's, he's quite prevalent in that, obviously. Yeah, he's, he's always been that kind appears. of...
0: He's kind of like the Easter egg of the series for a while until he becomes fully fleshed out, from what I understand.
1: Yeah, in this, Perry in essentially... novel,
0: yeah. he yeah.
2: pretty much is an Easter egg. He's like one right. line read.
1: Exactly that. Perry sort of describes him, I think, as, a, as the smoking man from X-Files, like the shadowy figure who's working in the background. Um, and he does have a you know varying degrees of importance. He's quite prominent in Underworld, I think it was. Um, but in here, yes, he's literally just a single name drop and move on. At this point, obviously, uh, there are a lot of contradictions between sort of Perry's take on the universe and the games. Uh, so jumping back to do the prequel... More so than ever, she just kind of has to undo some of her own version of the canon, for better or for worse, uh, to straight-up adapt the story of Zero. So, yeah, in terms of... That is one reason, certainly, why it just feels like an adaption of the games, because, yeah, she clearly just put down her own ideas and gone, well, they completely contradict with this, so I'm just going to adapt what I've got in front of me, which makes sense. Um, James, how do you feel about the story of Zero Hour?
3: It makes me sad, like, overall, because when I... Cause- <laughs> Especially since this is the last book from S. D. Perry in Resident Evil, because, and not just because of the nostalgia and reading it all with with everybody here, but also because we were introduced to some characters that I really liked, and they persisted. Like, hmm. I can't remember his name. That's how important he was. David now. was
1: it the the English
3: guy? Yeah, the British guy. Where's he? Yeah.
1: What where, where the f has he gone? You know, well, we can't be in a prequel
3: like he he like I was I was counting on him turning evil. He's a British guy. (laughs) He has to turn evil. Right. And I was like, I was expecting that to happen, you know, and then there was Trent. Like we got nothing else about Trent other than he's a guy.
1: Yeah. You know,
3: that was it. Um, Yeah. And I just, you know, I was sad about that because I was excited for what her plan was but yeah as you say Sai, i think it was a case of her looking back at previous editions and then going oh crap i can't like actually make this all work um (laughs) you know and then yeah just just watching or playing the game and or having like the notes the cliff notes thrown to her i think the other thing like with her is uh like with this book that i like is the pace is great the pacing yes. is great in this book. Like, whereas the pacing in previous books was awful. Um, <laughs> like other than the first few, the, where the pacing was good, cause she was following, uh, she seemed to have more time. Maybe, maybe she, she had more time with this book. I'm not sure, but yeah, I, we got to kind of middle ground with these books and the pacing of the story was so fast, but then we got to this one and everything slowed down. Like it was really nice. To yeah. settle in and like feel these characters like and and the the scenes we're in, um, I'm not actually because I have a terrible memory, especially for Resident Evil Zero, because there are only certain bits that really stand out in that game for me. Mm-hmm. So in the book, it was the same thing. There are only certain bits that really s- stood out for me, and I, I can talk about those certain bits if you want because they were parts of the story. Um, think, yeah, sure. Like stand out things for me, like in terms because I know. Uh, this is kind of adaptation actually, but um yeah th- there was some there were some scenes that just felt way better um in the book than they did in the game hmm. but there were certain scenes that were way better in the game than they were in the book um like for and that's not to say any of those scenes were bad because they weren't um I think the only one that I disliked in the game was the very end with uh the the fight. Um, right. with with James Marcus and everything and his transformations and stuff and yeah uh in like in uh, in, in the book I was much more invested mm-hmm. like in, in what happened there um yeah uh, the other thing that they changed that were well, not changed but the other thing she built on as well was uh, the amount of story she gave uh, Wesker and Birkin <laughs> which I re- which I really loved. It was night. Nice. It was. It was. It's it like I was watching. Um, it was like I'm watching Pinky in the Brain. You know, <laughs> and that's what it felt like every time. Like it, the, the the chapter West would change. Yeah, <laughs>
2: yeah. Every time. Which the, ones with the brain and which ones Pinky, James?
3: Oh, I don't know. I can. I can't remember. I've, um, got, to, I've got to say, like, he's,
2: he's Pinky, isn't
3: he? Yeah, he's too panicky to be the brain. I. I that's the thing, though, right? Because Pinky, you know, Pinky has, you know. Elements of Birkin and Wesker at the same time. But... Does that make Marcus Lowry? Sorry, the brain does. Sorry, not the not Pinky. The
1: brain. Well, the brain is clearly Wesker because he wants to take over the world. Birkin right. already. Any, we are way off topic. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's what that's what I, I felt. It was cool to go back to them and learn more about them and kind of their uh, you know, especially with their their roots as well. Um, they were talking about uh, how, like, it's, it was mentioned several times that they were, like, you know, the top of their class, essentially, mm-hmm. um, in Umbrella School. <laughs> that's, yep. that's what I put down in my, in yeah. my notes. Um, yeah, uh, and yeah, you got a bit more detail there with James Marcus too. there. I, I like those origins that were built, because in the game, I don't think that was built enough. Um, and again, this is more adaptation, so I can be skipped on adaptation, but Yeah. <laughs>
1: Fair, that's fair. There's a lot of things on there that absolutely, like, I agree with completely Um, in terms of the final fight, not to rush to the end of the book, but I agree I was way more invested in that, and part of that is to do with the pacing. I think it was Code Veronica where I had a real issue with the way that book speeds up at the end. You've got, like, chapters that are, like, half a page long and stuff. Like, it just really, really hurried towards the end, whereas you're right, the pacing for this felt really right because I was really worried Because about a third of the way through and the Stinger was dead. And I was like, wow, we're a third away from the book and they're not even off the train yet. But the pacing was just perfect from that. Like, we don't need a rundown of every room and every puzzle. You're right. We need the high points. We need the boss fights. We need this and that. With Birkin and Wesker, I actually, and for a few reasons, I found myself... I haven't played Zero in a very long time as well. That's one reason. I found myself watching the cutscenes. Afterwards, to see what she changed and how Garrett compared. I did the same thing. <laughs> and there was a lot of Wesker and Birkin sort of... Well, there's several times it sort of flashes to them. And I was like, oh, I actually forgot about this entirely. So that was nice. Uh, but in terms of their backstory in the game, and markers and stuff like that, in terms of the story in Zero, is in the files. So that kind of... That's where it starts to fall down. I've got some positive things to say when we get there. But like in terms of story here... This is really just a run from A to B. Like, there's very little story in this book, which is yeah. representative of the fact that Zero's most interesting thing is its files. Like, there's not, unlike other books in the series, where there's a lot of stuff going on in the RE2 novelization because there's a lot of stuff going on in RE2. And even with RE3, I've, and it probably had more to do with the number of perspectives that were being cast on everything. I felt like more was going on there even though that's meant to be a bit of a runner-gunner whereas this did just feel like well let's get from A to B and get out Uh, it could have done with a bit more mystery to it to unwrap um, sort of more focus on the umbrella Steve like you said some more focus on the backstory of stuff and Rebecca and Billy trying to figure things out figure out Marcus rather than just oh I read a file and it told me this for the viewers sake which is a bit of a shame but there you go Um,
0: Retina how did you feel about the story of Zero Hour um, I obviously this was my first time properly reading it o- over the last few days, and uh, my only real exposure has been um, like umbrella conspiracy and all that. And I found that initially it was good; it was a good pace. Enjoyed it throughout. Uh, only real thing I'd say is when it came to like the big encounters, like say the Prototyrant or the Bat or uh, the Giant Centipede or whatever, it mm. it played like a boss rush. I felt like I was. I felt like I was watching a streamer just trying to speed run through zero at sometimes because I felt like I'd read a couple <laughs> of sentences and suddenly, oh no, they've run away from the boss. Hang on, that's never an option. You can't run. I'm, no. I'm locked. Yeah. I'm locked in a room every time. I want to get out, and I'm not allowed. Why is S.D. Perry allowed to p- off? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, she also has a character shoot locks out of doors. So yeah, I mean, I did see that at one point, and I thought, finally, someone's making that suggestion. Why don't we shoot the door?
1: Oh, I love
0: it. Yeah, I love the fact that they actually did say, can't we shoot that? Say, well, no, okay. Um, then just move on, yeah. to get back to the puzzly elements that we like. And But overall, I, I think the pacing was really good. There was some great moments I enjoyed, though. One of them, weirdly, was from the final moment with the Queen Leech. And it wasn't the actual fight, it was the build-up to it and the way that Perry described how uh, Marcus was uh, losing control just before he got taken over. Mm. How that he'd, mm, he'd lost con- yes. he lost control of his own well his own children basically he'd lost it he can't control them anymore they take over in a rage that kind of that's the reason I love these books though that's that kind of aspect you don't really get in the games you don't you see a sense of losing control from being infected or not understanding how their virus works or whatever or they just have a bit of hubris but in this case it's like I want to calmly deal with this and I wanted to kill him in my own way but those around me just want to be like you know what, just murder him, I don't care, we're taking taking you mm-hmm. over, you're not having a chance to control me anymore. That kind of aspect was a great bit of the book that I really enjoyed. But overall, I really liked this one, it was a great book, but it did feel like, like I say, that it did read like a speed run at times, and it felt like yeah. it was difficult to keep up with what was being read, but then I was kind of, you know, speed reading it really quickly just for this as well, so it was, probably need to reread it again at my own pace and just take it in properly.
1: Mm. Yeah, I get you. about the, We've talked about the combat stuff before in this, uh, and I think it's just the nature of... Otherwise, the book just sort of really would slow down if it has to be a bit more of a meticulous firefight every time. But a lot of the combat encounters really breeze by. It's very rare that they run from something. You're right, that's super unique. Um, but I, I like sort of her own sort of spins and stuff like that, certainly. Um, but in terms of combat encounters, I actually really... A lot of the time, I can just be like, Psh, okay, yeah, okay, it died in like two paragraphs, moving on. But the confrontation with the Stinger felt really good. It was written in such an imposing way. She really sells it here, talking about stuff like the burn of the gunpowder on Billy's hand, how he stumbles to load the gun as he's moving backwards. That felt really good, and I was quite happy with that. Largely didn't have any issues with the combat stuff, but again, that's at this point, we've read six books between the three of us. Um, so maybe I'm used to sort of like the pacing of that, because at first that really throws you off how quickly things sort of get dispatched and moved on from. Um, in terms of that sort of final scene, and this is sort of moving into adaptation now. Yeah, fair play to her for sort of really understanding the Queen Leech, I think, because a lot of people don't understand what's going on with Zero's plot. I don't blame them because it's, you know, it's mad. But yeah, by that point, well, by the entire plot of the game, it's not really James Marcus, is it? It's just a bunch of leeches that have got their own sort of cognition. And they've got Marcus's memories. They think they, you know, they think they're Marcus or whatever. It's you know, his dead body's long gone. Some of his consciousness just happens to be in there. So. Yeah, I think that was really good, like the perspective on that. And as you say, sort of him losing control and the Queen Leech taking over was really cool. I don't know how I feel about it turning into sort of another creature, quote unquote, after that. They sort of turn it into the hive of leeches just because the Queen Leech continues to change shape. To me, it's still the Queen Leech. So I thought that was a bit odd. But uh, generally though, issues with the story aside, she did a really good job of understanding The Queen Leech, which is very... And I am absolutely guilty of it for a long time. Very easy to misunderstand. Um, Steve, any thoughts on the adaptation of this? Certain little elements that you liked or didn't like that were changed or added or whatever?
2: I genuinely feel like, in some regards, this may be a better RE0 than RE0 itself in terms of characters living up to their future selves in the games. Mm. Like, there are moments in this that I feel like Rebecca is more consistent with how she is in Remake. Like, she's nowhere near as competent or deadly a fighter as she is in RE0 in this book. She runs from the prototype, for example. She almost freaks out and breaks down after having a hunter engagement. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, in the game, you know, y- y- your Rebecca can be a badass. You can have a Grey launcher for a Magnum and waste these things, no dramas. Whereas in Resident Evil 1, she panics from a hunter and Chris has to save her. And so in that regard, it allows me a little little, little bit of leeway and a bit of, like, lineage it also makes Billy a little bit more empathetic, I feel. Like, mm. he's, he's a bit more aloof in-game than he is in this, because you can actually see and hear his mental cognition and thought on why he wants to do certain things. Why he doesn't just ditch Rebecca when she goes upstairs to the training into the um, dining cart, for example. Uh, yeah, it's, it's some solid stuff. And I appreciate, most of all, what they did with Marcus. Because in this case, he's, like, basically... I- I'm, I'm probably getting it a bit muddled. But, like, was is it, is it Sigmund Freud or psychology with the whole id, ego, and superego thing? Mm. I feel like that's what they're going for with, like, the Marcus persona, the Queen Leech's rage, and then the Hive. Like, three different right. aspects of the mind. And then eventually it gets more and more feral. Like, you know, the, the reptile brain of the mm. of the leeches basically makes them all go kill, kill, kill. Uh, and then even the Queen can't control it and they, they just literally all want to kill them. Because there's even, like the Machiavellian scheming of the Queen Leech or Marcus however you want to see them first off because they're sort of assisting Billy and Rebecca until Billy takes their Leech man out yeah like they're they're basically uh, speed running the game for him solving a few puzzles and then they go too far and go where Marcus slash the the Queen Leech doesn't want them to go and they progressively get more and more basically mad with them Uh, it's more Despite the fact that I normally ridicule this for, and the world will burn an inferno of hate, it actually gets their whole point across of why they want to do this. They want originally mm. Rebecca and Billy to basically spread the word and and you know expose Umbrella, um, and then seeing them delineate and fall apart and get more and more angry, and that's what screws them over is actually kind of interesting, and I want to take that as my quote unquote canon, um, <laughs> even if it is a head canon. You know, yeah, I enjoyed it for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I also, that's a really great point, and I really like her interpretation of Marcus having a weird thing for chess as well, which is quite subtle in here, but it's in here. Uh, really good connection that she's made between this ch- giant chessboard that he has in one room. Yeah. Um, and the Queen Leech, which it gets really called out at the end, a bit on the nose, but nonetheless you know, the most powerful player of them, all the Queen, when we've got references to the Knights being Hunters and Bishops and stuff like that, depending on the BOW, I thought, you know what? It's a bit cheesy supervillain, but it's actually kind of clever and kind of cool. Um, there's a bunch of stuff like that, to be fair, that like, I was pretty surprised and happy with. Like the fact they go into the basement and deal with the Eliminators before fighting Centurion. I don't even know. If you, can you do that in the game? I didn't even know. But uh, it for pacing-wise, it really works. Because you face the Stinger, then you fight the Eliminators, which is a group rather than one giant monster, and then you fight the Centurion, which is back to a singular giant monster. And also, I'm really glad that they didn't put Rebecca didn't put Rebecca in jeopardy again, because uh, like she gets attacked by the monkeys and then doesn't get attacked by the uh, centipede in the same way. So because that really would have killed our character off. It, it's okay. In the video game, because it's broken up by your gameplay, where as you say, you're toting around with a shotgun and whatever and doing potentially cool things. In the book, it would have really made her seem weak. So I'm really glad that she rec- clearly recognised that and didn't go for it. Mm. Um, yeah, there's loads of cool stuff in terms of characterisation. I'm gonna, we'll get to that. For me, there's loads of really neat points there, uh, but also uh, Kenneth's nickname, Kenneth J. Sullivan's nickname is Sully. And that's canon now as well. As I <laughs> yes, <deserve. laughs> I, I love that, James. Any thoughts on adaptation? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I already said it in my story section because yeah. again, again,
3: there's like this, this book. Steve said at the beginning, like there is a lot. of... I actually made a tweet about it earlier on. Like I felt like I was playing the game as I was reading it, and this yeah. has been this has been a common thing with the SD Perry books, um, and you know, so that you can't you can't really add much um, to what. Is already known, but the book does an incredible job of adapting the story to a story I can understand. Because I, when I watched, when I, when I um, read it, I, w- when I played the game, I had no idea what the heck was happening with um, with Marcus. <laughs> right. right? I had no idea what was going on. Like I thought, oh, he's just stereotypical bad guy who is singing on rooftops for some reason, like Sephiroth wannabe kind of deal. Mm-hmm. um didn't understand the story but the novel made me appreciate his character way more like way 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 more like there's a there's a line he says at the beginning about uh going back to the chess thing he says um he just makes like a small comment about uh about taking the queen yeah right and like that is right at the beginning that's like huge foreshadowing <laughs> like to uh, for the end right yes. instead of like you know instead of him taking the queen you know the queen took him, and mm-hmm. so did everything else, um, which I thought was it was, was kind of cool. Um, yeah, and yeah, another thing like when it came to ad- adapting, um, and I'll, I'll probably talk about it in categorization a bit more as well is uh the amount of detail she gave certain sections um, when Rebecca and Billy are talking. Now, there's one thing I I uh, much to. Most of the internet's chagrin. I really like Rebecca and Billy's interactions in this game because I see a lot of uh, redemption, like in Billy, because um, mm. he starts off as this like kind of butthead and then like he slowly turns into this actual hero. Um, and but in the in the game, it just kind of happens. There there is like some lines of dialogue, but in the book, you get a little bit more detail in that uh with that there's some iffy lines like the weird what was the it was like a line about male female f- something oh yeah had to had enough to I, I had enough to deal with without the male female thing what the, that was a weird line mm, billy yeah, yeah all right <laughs> but like uh, it just didn't really fit um i appreciate what he like what the line was trying to say you know but it just yeah could have been said better um but otherwise like the the adapt the adapting of those scenes was done much better and I still liked them in the game but I liked them even more in the book because there was more detail there for me to kind of get into um yeah and like the detail of the the yeah the the again the expansion exploration of the betrayal as well that you got mm-hmm. mostly through Marcus's eyes um or what Marcus was saying um while it was so cool because you Again in the game, I didn't really get this at all. Right, but you have Pinky in the brain doing their thing, like looking at the cameras, going, I don't know, rah, ha, ha, ha. you know, they're just like being evil evil, right? And then Marcus Marcus is going like he has a completely different agenda and they don't even know Marcus is around. Yeah. Right. I thought that was really cool because like normally, yeah, Wesker knows everything typically about what's going on and he, but he had no idea about Marcus until he popped up and said his whole line and then showed up on the map and then there was a second one well on the camera and then there was a second one of them and they're like ah, oh, it's fun to see villains surprised yeah right and like in in a like in the in the game and in the book you were seeing that quite a lot um like with all the villains in this in this uh in this book as well you got uh some expansion on spencer as well here too um, and, like, just, yeah, this book really drove into you how much how mu- like how much, like, of a butthead all these people were. <laughs> you know, it was just really bad, evil people, you know. This book really wanted to kind of pound that into you, and I think she did a great job doing that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Resident, how do you feel about it as an adaptation of Resident Evil Zero? Are you happy with how it handled uh, the game?
0: Yeah, it felt like when I was reading it, I could see in my mind's eye every single Mm. bit regardless it didn't feel like anything was different in some areas it just felt like I could see myself playing that exact way they would play and you know the way they, they were moving around the way they were finding stuff the way they were finding files and all that I could see it beat for beat I could hear I could feel the atmosphere I could hear all the background noise and all that it was absolutely great it's I mean, Perry does capture the game really well, I think. Does it extremely well. But, um, I mean, you mentioned uh, earlier that obviously this book tends to drive home how evil obviously Wesker, Birkin, Marcus and all that are. But it even goes further with um, making out that even the lower people, the ones that are nameless in the games, the subordinates and all even they are quite nasty. I mean, there's in the early part, there's a character I believe called Nyberg who talks about the everyday goings-on of Umbrella and even talks about how there's a drug that was administered to a girl, uh, well, a little girl at one point, and apparently one of its side effects was that she, uh, I think I think she ended up getting blinded or something, and then they were talking mm-hmm. about how, all oh, the department's going to have to pay them off and all this, and that just drives home that it's, <laughs> it's not just the bioweapon stuff that's evil, which is the big thing, but even the smaller stuff that Umbrella does is just nasty and, you know, evil corporate kind of let's use hush money to keep everyone quiet routine, not just murder architects that make us a mansion in the middle of a forest and all that. They, they <laughs> Even their everyday stuff is really nasty. And to see that kind of detail thrown in is, is a great bit of world building. I really liked that kind of, um, those extra bits they threw in. Um, also, I mean, just to heart back to the little nickname that Kenneth had Sully, all I could think of was Monsters Inc. I'm sorry, I just, I couldn't. Of course. All I could think of was uh, him just running around just shouting boo from a closet. It's probably not a good look to have. Um, That's probably why you got mad at getting bit,
1: let's be honest. That's probably (laughs) probably
0: why they banned the name in the game. Uh, Yeah, but um, even the um, interactions between Wesker and Birkin they were probably my highlight of the whole book. I mean, we, we get a sense of what they're like in the games, and obviously, we get some great voice acting, some great moments in the game. In the book, they obviously go a bit further and they start going through their mental processes. Obviously, Birkin's panicking about, do these guys know about G yet? They can't possibly know, are they going to come after me yet? So he's got that mm. paranoia and anxiety. And then you've got the polar opposite with Wesker, who's calm, cool, collected. He knows what's coming. He knows what he's going to be doing next. He's going to you know, betray stars. He knows that Bravo team are already screwed. They've got no chance. And he knows Alpha team are going to be next in the meat grinder. But then you get him even starting to have thoughts about Birkin, how he performs and thinking, like, he's a bit pathetic. And even at one point, mm. there's a line, I think, where it says, you know what, I actually feel sorry for his daughter. Or if he feels sorry about Sherry not having her parents around, saying that the mother's yeah. just obsessed with whatever William's doing. and Obviously, William's so obsessed and so paranoid, even he doesn't notice about his own family. And the fact that Wesker even felt a little bit of pity for someone else, that's a bit of an unusual... Trip, but then it was before he got his um his little virus top up at the end of Resident Evil as well. It was um, mm. really great. I love those little additions. And then there was a moment near the end that just kind of made me laugh. Just the idea that, you know, Billy and Rebecca have just finished. They've got out. They've escaped. And then suddenly Billy just scratches his wrist and his, his handcuff randomly falls off. <laughs> that just made me laugh I'm, I'm, pro- I'm probably thinking it, sh- it should be like a subliminal thing You're thinking, well oh, that's got deeper meaning It means he's finally free or whatever I couldn't help but laugh that all it took was an itch on his arm <laughs> <laughs> He's been complaining from the start about how can I get this handcuff off All he had to do was scratch his wrist
1: Magic button Yeah, just like the <laughs> most
0: like the most itchy Houdini ever it was,
1: didn't <laughs> it, Amazing. You, I couldn't
0: help but laugh at that line That was just the funniest thing I read in the whole book
4: The creature that pulled itself up and out of the rubble was like nothing Rebecca had ever seen before. It stood up near the top of the debris pile, raised its arms as though stretching, allowing her a clear look at it, making her mouth go dry, her palms sweat. She had a sudden, desperate urge to go to the bathroom. It was humanoid. Human almost in that it had the facial features of a man, except no man glowed so pale, its hairless skin, its body a luminous near white. No man had claws that extended almost the length of his arms, the talons curved and shining like steel knives, longer on the right hand than on the left. The thick ropes of its veins were visible through its skin, masses of red and white tissue humped over its huge shoulders across its massive chest, clusters of blood-red sores liberally scattered over its three-meter-tall body, and much of its lower face had been ripped away, revealing a bleeding flesh-and-bone grin, which it turned to Rebecca now, snicking its talons as though greatly anticipating their meeting. The creature looked down at her, its impossible grin seeming to widen slightly. She could hear it breathing. A harsh, rasping sound could actually see the pump of its strange, pulsing heart only partly shielded by its ribcage, barely aware that she'd raised the shotgun. Rebecca fired.
1: Okay, well, we're really driving into characters now, which is awesome, because that's next. And uh, yeah, you guys have all said some really fantastic stuff. Uh, And I'm going to go above and beyond with this one, because I have a bit of a bold statement to come right out of the gate with. Um, It's definitely been, Steve, you sort of alluded to that Rebecca in this is just great in terms of her point of view. Uh, Like, she's written as being quite confident, but also completely unsure of herself at the same time, especially when she's getting on the train. She's constantly thinking about maybe now is the time to turn around and then go, hang on, I'll be made fun of. Uh, Let's just go a little bit further, a little bit further until it's too late. I love that. She comes across really learned as well. Like early on, she's naming particular muscles and stuff. I was like, good, that's nice and accurate. Um, But then when the panic sets in, it's so perfect. And she winds up, you know, weighing up all the potential choices and going with her gut and stuff like this just feels right. And her uh, interactions with Billy, again, I actually think... <sighs> I think Billy in the game is my preference. I like him being a bit more aloof and stuff like that. I kind of having a bit of edge to him, if you like. In this, he's a little bit too soft. He's a bit... By the end of the book, he's a bit like Rebecca too. But uh, in terms of their interactions, are really, really good. That whole section is some of her best writing where uh, Billy saves Rebecca, and they have the conversation about his past and stuff like that. And Billy has this sort of relief that he did a good deed. It's just like this wonderful moment. All of that melting pot together, my grand statement is, in terms of your best interpretation of Rebecca Chambers across the entire series, I think this is it. I think it's in this book. This might be my favourite Rebecca we've ever gotten. So props to S.D. Perry, because I was very impressed and... Yeah, it really made me want to see Rebecca in the series a bunch more, more than I already did. I was like, this is such a good character. Once you get that kind of point of view insight, it's just just not been given enough to do. Um, James, how do you feel about characters in the book? I know if you talked about it a little bit, but any more?
3: <laughs> yeah, of course I do. This is, you know what this game's about. Like, it's, <laughs> you know what I'm going to talk about. This is, this is, yeah, um, I completely agree with you. Um, this. Though I am going to, uh, I am going to fight back a little bit, but in a good, positive way. This Rebecca in the book is how I saw her in the game,
1: mm.
3: right? But without all the mechanics that are thrown at you in the game. So as I was going through the game, I saw who she was, right? And when I read the book, I was like, yeah, 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 this is it. This is this is who yeah. I. Yeah, this is precisely what I was thinking. She get the first piece of combat she gets in, like, and I will fight. You, you guys have seen me. I will fight anybody who tells me otherwise, right? She, this girl has, you know, she's super smart and she also has combat experience. She get into in her first combat, like, she kind of—it's the first time you see her instinctually do something, right? Um, where it's because she has to mm. have instincts. Right, because at that point she needs to, or she dies. Whereas every other time she's had a plan, she's been able to think of a plan. But the first time she's in combat, bang, bang, two shots to the head to a zombie, it's dead.
1: Yeah, right. That's the also, first. Like, sorry to interrupt, but I also yeah. like that she specifically calls out Rebecca had a handgun in her hand without even realizing she pulled it. Yeah, like, I, love, I was Like, yeah, good. She should have those instincts by now because she's been trained. So, yeah,
3: yes. it was, and they they mention it in the in the book as well. They mention that she had been training for a full month. Mm -hmm. Right. And that she had intensive training. Right. They mentioned all of this. And and I was just like, yes, this is precisely who I knew who Rebecca was. Right. And like hearing her go through and like plan everything when she had the time. You know, I think if Marcus wasn't on their side for a bit, I think they would have been done for. Right. But she had the time to think of a plan. And she had so many cool plans. And she was constantly making them up. It was like it was like watching uh, like a like a, the opposite version of Wesker. You know, it was like because you know Wesker is the one who's behind like the camera and he's always thinking of the plans and you know he's trying to like like crap on everybody. Meanwhile, she is the exact opposite of him, right? Mm-hmm. It was so cool to see her without even thinking, without even knowing she is, you know, fighting back against her boss essentially. Right, she was doing it so well. Um, I always, in the in the video game, when it comes to her character in the video game, again, I'll repeat it. I always, yeah, I always thought, it's a video game. Of course she's going to be a little bit, you know. <laughs> she's going to have that. She's going to have a grenade launcher and a rocket and a bloody yeah, shotgun. Sure. And, you know, I always thought, I, that's not a big deal to me, right? Um, yeah, but that this is the quintessential Rebecca in the in this novel. And I want to see more of that. Like I want to, it. I want to see that in a game at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but enough about her. I don't like that character. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like Billy was muted in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, there were some lines I felt that were way better delivered in the game for Billy um, than they were in the book. Uh, it might be because I don't know. Maybe I had a different voice for Billy, or I was just like completely standing for Rebecca, and I completely forgot Billy was there, um, which also might have been it. Um, But... Yeah, he was muted. He also had his moments, but he he didn't shine as much as Rebecca did. He was basically the either the guard dog or the person she would say, "Yeah, go fetch the thing, you know. I need I'm mother here. Go get the thing. I need to do things, you know. I'm yeah. the brain here." Um and it was it was cool to to see, but I would have yeah, cuz I like Billy. I, I like him as a character. I think it's a it's actually a tragedy that he hasn't come back, but we know Capcom and then bringing back old characters. They just don't like doing it. Um, yeah, there was like, again, between those two, I said it earlier, but there were some moments where, um, the book did it better, but there were other moments when the game did it better too. Like, I don't know why, but when Rebecca finally realized that Billy didn't kill that village, um, Mm -hmm. and he was framed for it, I feel like that was better delivered in the game than it was in the book. Um, delivery was better in the game. The aftermath was, you know, because she slowly kind of warmed up to him. Um, like there the, were like the moment where she had a smile on her face, and then he looked at her, made a joke, and then she went, oh, "Wait a second, you're a criminal," yeah. you know. <laughs> um, you know, you don't really see that much in the in the game. You do see it once or twice, but she does it quite a few times in the novel. Um, and it was nice to see. Uh, I'll let everybody else talk about the villains because, yeah, I, I've, I've already spoken about them. I absolutely love the villains in this and how much they were explored by sd perry uh but yeah rebecca chambers this is quintessential rebecca chambers and it makes me miss her more
1: i'm good i'm glad to have my opinion backed up by the number one rebecca chambers fan so thank that's you yeah at least yeah, <laughs> yeah, <thank you> <laughs> uh, retta any thoughts on the characters that we haven't uh really gone
0: over um i guess um i haven't really talked much about rebecca and billy either so go I'll, I'll go i'll cover rebecca a little bit and try to go through the others if i can but with rebecca obviously the thing is she's um She's 18, she's been trained, you know, intensely for about a month or so, she's been with stars a short while, she's, obviously, at at the first points you kind of get the feeling that, obviously she's a bit timid, I'd say, and a bit reluctant, a a, a bit reluctant to kind of go back to her teammates to think, oh, maybe I've kind of screwed up here, but I don't want to look a fool uh, by saying Mm -hmm. I've screwed up, and weirdly that, that, weirdly applies to my job. Um... But also, that's that's the weird thing. I kind of relate more to Rebecca in this than anything because she does mirror what I'm like in a way, and that is quite scary. And I never thought that I'd ever say that about a character from Resident Evil. I was hoping that'd be Jill Valentine, kind of badass, always wanting a sandwich. But um, we, um, <laughs> in general, Rebecca I enjoyed a lot. She, you could tell, she got progressively more confident. I mean, she even to the point where she finally reunites with Enrico and basically says, "Look." no, I need to keep going, I need to find Billy. If that had been Rebecca at the beginning, she would have just listened to him and just left him or just been like, you know mm. what, it's not our responsibility. That Obviously, the experience is going to harden her and make us realise, you know what, I've got to stand what I believe and I believe Billy needs my help. She wouldn't have done that in the first, what, 20 pages of the book at least. Mm. And then, obviously, with Billy, coming back to him, uh, like, like uh, Alex said, uh, he is a little bit muted in this, and I didn't. He didn't really stand out for me as much. The one time I did find he stood out for me was very early in the book. Actually, it was when he was looking for a weapon, and I think there was a point where he said internally in his mind, he was like, "You know, what? I need a gun to protect myself, but I refuse to kill." And he because he'd always seen enough death at being in the army and that, and obviously he'd only shoot zombies in this case. But he was there was a point where he was like enough killing, I've ha- I've had enough. It was almost like a pacifist yeah. kind of moment with him and it was kind of good to hear that mindset. It wasn't going to be like, yeah, I've got a gun, go, now I can blast some things. But it was good to hear that kind of switch and obviously the other thing I think has been mentioned before is his kind of conclusion and his way he handled his uh, being framed and that being revealed to Rebecca, that felt a bit downplayed and it it, it did feel better in the game but to be fair, what I remember of that scene in the games, it's it's ended up becoming a blur between the version of the original cutscene from Zero and then the, the version of that cutscene from uh, Umbrella Chronicles. I can't seem to tell the difference between the two anymore. It's kind of merged into one. Yeah. So that's become almost like a, an amalgamation like a pile of leeches. Um,
1: how <laughs> um, did you get so many retellings, they all kind of meld together.
0: It's basically, my mind is like the it's like the timeline line from Legend of Zelda. I don't know what's real and what isn't anymore. <laughs> it's it's it was it was great. Billy and Rebecca were fantastic. Obviously the to was a little bit muted. Uh, Wesker and Birkin enjoyed a great deal. I've kind of covered them enough. Uh, Marcus though was probably the one big one I really enjoyed. His um, not just him being like I want revenge, but the way they kind of described the way he. He took it as a personal insult when any extension of him was attacked. So when his liegemen were attacked, there was a deep-seated rage, which was obviously come from the hive collective, or the queen leech was feeling it personally. Hearing that kind of, hearing that from the book and hearing it from his thought process was was brilliant. I liked that because you don't really get you don't really get anyone who cares for their minions. I mean, mean, you you didn't get Doctor No obviously crying over a guy who's been shot by James Bond, or you didn't. Get Thanos getting stuff off that, you know, Ebony Moore's just been shot out of an airlock. No no emotion. To see that Marcus Queen Leech has got that kind of connection in his like, What have you done to my children? That was a great moment. I enjoyed that. I mean, obviously he just wants revenge and he wants to get revenge on umbrella, but to see that kind of emotional connection to his own minions was great. Cool. Uh Steve, any more thoughts on the characters?
2: I mean, Rebecca's always been, like, I feel like she's always been S.D. Perry's favourite character. Like, you I know, think that
1: is factually Caliban Cove and,
2: and, and yeah. various other sort of things. She, she is very, as much attached to this character in any form of media she's in. And she definitely does Rebecca justice here. I, I, I would still argue that if I had to pick my perfect favourite Rebecca, it still is like playing RE0 Rebecca with Reva DePaola doing the voice and all that. You know, personal biases. You know, it's like everyone wants Alison Court to be Claire Redfield, et etc. et cetera. Um... Mm-hmm. But this is a damn, damn pretty good adaptation, and like I said, it definitely feels more in co- in continuity with how Rebecca is portrayed in the games later on. Um, she's also like, a, it feels like Dear Rebecca is do like a proper outing, not not to go completely tangential, but uh, and this is it's kind of sating that need for me a little, like you know that we haven't seen Rebecca anything new in a while, so reading this book again felt oh that was nice, um, Billy. And I know we seem to see uh, the the, uh, the panel feel is a bit muted I kind of like his inner thought processes especially like the whole I did say this earlier like where he sounded way up whether he ditches Rebecca on the train and then he hears gunshots and decides to stay yeah. stuff like that I thought was really good uh, although I can appreciate that the vocal delivery like like everyone else said of the, the, the reveal that Billy did not in fact murder 23 people um, <laughs> yeah but the standout's got to be Marcus slash Queen Leech slash The Hive the the, the The mindset, and this is a character I did not hold any value for in the game. But the way they've been re-portrayed and this uh, this aspect, I will take away from me now the idea that when I hurt a leech man, it's hurting Sephiroth himself. Like (laughs) I'm on board with that. I love that idea. Um, And the fact that the ending confrontation isn't so much, I'm going to assume in a weird wobbly form and have revenge, but rather everything's got a bit out of control and the the Mm. conscious mind has been subsumed yeah no, 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 I dig it I like it
1: <laughs> that part I never thought about it that way before But again I watched the cutscenes and like the expression on his face when he starts like puking up all those leeches he genuine, yeah he genuinely looks like he's lost control he doesn't know what's going on I never thought about it that way because, because Resident Evil is just we're so used to being like and now I will become the myself. monster yeah <laughs> like intentionally but when you look at it he does look like that's it now you're, you're you guys are all right in the sense that, you know, the Queen Leech has gone, nope, and taken over now, I'm, I'm too mad or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I agree in terms of Marcus's writing is a surprising standout from this, although I have no notes on it. That's how good it is, in fact, no notes. So, <laughs> uh, okay, speaking of good stuff, at least for me, let's talk about the writing style and the quality of the writing. Um, I was a big fan of this, actually. I think that despite... Issues with the story of Zero Hour. In terms of writing quality, this is actually one of the strongest books for me. Um, Her description of young Marcus and the quote-unquote lake of leeches that kind of move up towards him was great. Um, She describes Mimicry Marcus as moving as if it was filled with living things before it's revealed that it is in fact made of leeches, which is really good. I love the fact that she refers to the is as collective as the many is nice and creepy i like that there's also some really decent but some of the back and forth is a little bit cheesy uh, it's resident evil so cheesy is kind of part and parcel but there there's actually genuine humor in this like there's a little moment in it that i really liked where billy remarks in his head something like i'm glad that rebecca chambers is not nuts and then immediately she's like, we should split up. And his response is, are you nuts? <laughs> Which is almost, dare I say it, Douglas Adams-esque <laughs> kind of writing, where you point something out and then immediately backflip on it. I was like, that's genuinely really funny writing. So overall, like this was a delight to read, despite the fact that it's got absolute issues with its story, certainly. But writing quality, maybe the extra few years since Code Veronica, or she was in a really good mood because she was writing about Rebecca Chambers. Either way, this one really shines for me. Retina, how did you feel about S.D. Perry's uh, writing quality? Because obviously we've talked about it a lot over the course of the series, but uh, how do you feel about her as a writer?
0: Um, I really enjoy her writing style a lot. I mean, for me, I think this is probably just down to the pace I was reading it, but I was losing points the points at where who was perspective the story was being told from, but that's I think it's because most of the books I've read are always told from one perspective and it's not suddenly jumping, but that's that's more just me. Um Mm -hmm. but the overall I've always enjoyed S. D. Perry's books. I've enjoyed obviously Umbrella Chronicles and City of the Dead. But um Zero Hour really, really enjoyed it. She's kept that very descriptive style that comes with whenever someone gets whenever a zombie got shot, it, it it made my stomach turn a little bit and it was enough to not. It was enough to kind of make me feel like, oh, this is really good descriptive writing, but not so much that it puts me off. Like um, when I read Clive Barker once, and I I could only read the prologue and I had to put it down. <laughs> Genuinely, I, I nearly threw up reading that book. It was so nasty. Um, but in general, the, the the writing is really good. And yeah, there is um, a couple of issues with the plot, and there is that little bit she wrote right at the beginning. That little disclaimer, just saying, you know, like, I know we've written this a little bit later than the game and all that, and it's there's going to be some inconsistencies with the story. I mean, at this point, when this is written, the Resident Evil remake has come out, so she's trying to reference the original, but the remake is still out there, and there is like yeah. little little nods to the remake with the mention of the Trevor family as well. So they're in there, but they're not kind of saying... They don't mention Leisha specifically or all like that, so it doesn't spoil the story. So it's a way of getting it in, but it doesn't completely ruin mm. it. There is some... Um, like I said, we've mentioned obviously before the way that Billy was not talking as much, but his internal thoughts were quite good and articulate at points. Um, I've, I've, I weirdly found myself enjoying the moment when they're solving that puzzle with the hunting of the snake and the deer and the tiger and everything else. For some reason, I was I was quite engrossed in that and I don't know why. The <laughs> way it was written, it just made me think, oh, I hope, I hope they get this right. It was really, it was, it was like watching a Crystal Maze contestant. You hope they get it right, but they might not. But well, in this case, it did, thankfully. For some reason, I just really enjoyed that moment. And yeah, I just, I just generally enjoyed the book overall. It's just, I've always liked Perry's writing style in general.
1: Yeah, we, we absolutely couldn't go an episode without calling out her descriptive gore. You're right. She's always, always been good at describing monsters and pustules and open wounds and all this nasty stuff. Uh, she's Yeah, she really excels at that. It's not surprising that she's... Uh, found herself doing other horror and sci-fi stuff
0: just to just add to that the moment she describes a zombie lunging at someone was probably the moment i felt most tense but it was so well done the idea of these blackened teeth coming towards you that was such a great way of describing it other than just suddenly this shape come out of nowhere and i'm suddenly missing a chunk of my shoulder
1: (laughs) Uh, indeed um steve how do you feel about the writing quality for zero hour How how does it compare to the other books
2: I. Uh, consistent, and there are some great moments I feel like in this one. Uh, especially, I don't know if it is a quote unquote Men in Black reference, as in the film. But there's a point where Billy has to distract the Queen Leech to save Rebecca from like doing a door thing. She's opening a door. She's doing <laughs> she's doing medic star stuff, and it's full on the bit from the end yeah. of Men in Black One. Spoilers to Men in Black One, a film that came out in 1996. <laughs> uh, uh, he, he's, he's basically he's stamping Queen Leech, uh, stamping little leeches to aggravate the Queen Leech and it's almost like I hear Will Smith in the back of my mind going if you don't start nothing there won't be nothing it was pretty cool it was pretty cool uh, and uh, then there's also like an epilogue it almost feels like I'm building a mental shot in my head of this one but it's like the epilogue page is basically the POV of the zombies in the Spencer Mansion as the training facility goes and explodes and it talks about <laughs> dust shifting on tables and like you know everything's shaking a little and the, and the zombies are all basically going Ugh! <laughs> and I could actually mentally mentally see like those character models and their head turning to look east or west whichever way the bloody building is and it was, it was that vivid and that was a great way to close yeah, um, yeah. generally speaking the action sequences are pretty good um, violent uh, swift and enjoyable
1: I can, I genuinely I so, I so agree about the cute little epilogue at the end there I can see a green coated zombie down the uh the weird shaped hallway near the keeper's diary, sort of turning towards the window. It's like a big bright flash of light when something explodes, and he's like, Err. "It's like, yeah, this would be a perfect little end of end credits stinger, isn't it?" Uh, <laughs> James, how did you feel about the writing quality of Zero Hour?
3: Uh, forgetting you know that I want to do my, well, I want to do those characters back in because I wanted a conclusion for them as well. But yeah, maybe, maybe other time. let uh, talk about it a bit, bit, bit more. Maybe. There was like some kind of like tie up with characters in gaming at the time, and they were going to be put into uh, games at some point. And that's just a theory, though. Don't take my word for it. Um, but like, that's how these tens- these things tend to be. Or it just might be been a case of, yeah, uh, hard not being, they just not making sense. But yeah, in terms of her writing, uh, there is like, <laughs> is why I said at the beginning. There are three words that SD Perry loves saying, and that's wet ripping sounds. <laughs> she loves saying that. Like and every time she does a variation of it, right, or she says that, right? You always feel the weight of it every time she puts that in. Right. <laughs> and, you know, but she did something new in this one. Um and, you know, I wasn't expecting it. Um, and I think the reason why I was expecting it was because of the uh, we've spoken about, it. I think each one of us has spoken about this particular moment um, other than myself, but uh, in the game the end boss is kind of lame the CGI is pretty cool, in fact I would argue to say that Zero's CGI and like cutscenes were the best of the, the, the year at that time mm-hmm. um, they were fantastic um, but there is something that gets lost in CGI that you can't You can't describe in like a a visual way when you don't have the technology S. D. Perry managed to do that with words like that moment she managed to make it long and arduous and Like it felt like a real struggle Like there was an actual struggle there and in the game. You didn't feel any of that struggle Mm. Like at all Um, because uh, in one sense, you're not because you're not in the mind of Marcus Right. And you're also you have, you know, the pace of the game to think about. Right. And yeah, but the way I it's the first time I've seen her write this way. She just because beforehand she would have the suspense, the slow suspense, and then it would kick kick into gear when the action started. Right. But with this one, it was like okay there was a plan forward at the the beginning there was the suspense and then she turned the whole fight into this gross like (laughs) just writing masterclass of how someone is turning into leeches you know yeah yeah. it it was it was so good it was like a huge highlight in terms of writing for me Mm. um yeah because it was something i've not seen before um Yeah, I've said it, but yeah, she creates tension incredibly well. Suspense is always great with Perry. The sense of horror she has. um, Her attention to detail to the Resident Evil franchise is spectacular. Her environments, the creatures, like, the moments that we all remember from the game, she just elevates to another level. Um, She, like, as as as, as I've just mentioned, she she visualizes scenes so well into words and makes them harrowing to look at or rather think about. Um, yeah, I I wouldn't say it for all the all the others um, other than the first three, but her pacing in this was very good. Um I think the reason why I thought the pacing was good is cuz the previous ones were so bad maybe. Um <laughs> Yeah,
1: that's <is> true.
3: <laughs> yeah, and it kept me on edge. It kept me on, you know, on the edge of my proverbial seat in my in my brain. Um she's incredibly skilled. Uh I wish we could talk to her one day um like later like you know the later years <laughs> of of Resident Evil to get her opinion now about what she thinks about the franchise and like mm. what she wrote um it would be a great thing to mm. kind of give her an interview sometime and talk to her about that uh, she also like she has in in this book and we have spoken about it again she writes the like the characters so well the iconic characters you see in the franchise like in this game like she writes them so well she seems to know them better than like movie theaters do now yeah
1: yeah yeah you know
3: sure. yeah and like that is you know i think we took that i think we might have taken that for granted at one point mm-hmm. yeah. um yeah because she 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 does so well yeah I, I i i don't have enough praise for her she's she does so well and i would love to i would i would love to be that good at writing horror
1: one mm-hmm. day I think that also brings us fantastically to sort of a bit of a wrap-up. Like, you're right, because at the time, um, absolutely there was a lot of people that were sort of detracting or poo-pooing on these novels a little bit for being inconsistent or daring to put sort of original characters or whole original books into the franchise and stuff like that. I think we said this before, that I think time has been kind to the S.T. Perry novels. Yeah. Um, you know maybe that's because of stuff like the movies, <laughs> but you're <laughs> right, because like, she does get the characters really well and she gives them, uh, most of the time, a lot of space, you know, you get a lot more space to breathe in a book over an hour and a half long movie, obviously, but like, yeah, I think time has been kind to them. In terms of some of the stuff you said, actually, I do have some responses to that from Mrs. Perry herself because she has been interviewed by a few places. Uh, unfortunately, we've not been able to sort of get a wrangle on her and which is unfortunate but nonetheless nonetheless, she has uh, done a few interviews where she said that um, her characters she came up with were not any mandate from Capcom and as far as she was aware that they were not really interested in the books particularly so you can be certain that there was no plan for them to be in a video game in any form unfortunately because I don't think they paid them any mind whatsoever I think in one interview she went even so far as to say that they didn't like the books (laughs) but that might just be her sort of assumption Um, and in terms of what she thinks of the series now she's been asked that question as well at some point down the line and she doesn't really keep up with it unfortunately Uh, but it is a shame because as a sort of pay to write sort of author sort of by commission uh, yeah it would be interesting to see how she takes on board something like a 7 or whatever something more recent um, going through that game and seeing her do something like that now uh, would be really, really interested to see also how her writing has evolved and also just to see her writing back in the Resident Evil series, of course. But yes, that does bring us to conclusions. What we think about the Periverse in general and also Zero Hour, you know, to wrap up. Um, Steve, how do you feel about, you know, our entire run of Book Club and where does Zero Hour fit within it? Um,
2: I've always been like more of a fan of the, the new stuff I feel or at least uh, uh, my current mindset is that I I'm, I like the 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 extra added stuff the the David traps, the trends yes. the stuff that yeah. makes it stand out and it's more unique and so it's a, it's a shame in that regard that it's not got really any of it mm. but as a novel, it was an enjoyable, fun read, and like I said, it could. As, I'm one of the few people who actually enjoys Resident Evil Zero as a game, just saying, just saying, just so you all know where I'm coming from, I can fully like take this as like, this is a very good counterbalance if you don't enjoy playing the game, or you can't enjoy the whole management system and the inventory, this is a great um, counterpart or substitute, which is, uh, not not many of the other novels can achieve that. Uh, as an adaption, it's almost one-to-one with a few embellishments to get the story pace going um but the the periverse as a whole right like i i genuinely miss it and mm. i know she's kind of almost washed her hands of it and stuff and like size already said how she kind of hasn't kept up the series but I, I i echo the idea that if she were to come back i would love to see what she could do to like you know re-embellish it reintegrate it with her quote-unquote own universe
1: yeah yeah
2: uh, sure. like I, I, I would love to hear that the mindset of Jack Baker as he is consumed and turned into a nightmare mold creature beast. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, that kind of stuff is fun. And like, if Twin Peaks can come back after twenty years, anything can. Now that's my mindset. That is it, true. Like right? you true. know, if we can get you know the hashtag. I know we're already petitioning Capcom for Outbreak. But, you know, hashtag get sd perry to write some novels sure, whatever i don't know i'm on board you know just as long as we get a definitive a an ending and b trent doing something crazy in re5 like that that'll be that would be pretty cool how does he reconcile like playing both sides against the middle of one of the wants to unleash a nightmare virus and completely recontextualize the globe
1: it's a bit weird yeah you know it's funny we started off this episode when we were doing the news talking about Remake Code Veronica, and there's petitions out there. I think you know to get a Code Veronica remake. No, scrap that. Petition S. D. Perry more Resident Evil novels. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, James, how do you feel about Zero Hour as it stands and the Perryverse up to the present day?
3: That's such a huge question, so si. I know. I like. I I did just <laughs> say I'm going to repeat though. Like a lot of what I just said, it's the you know, she. With this Resident Evil, I'll talk about Zero Hour first. Like, she showcased the talent for like, capturing the essence of the franchise in this, and she did it with previous books as well. Um, again, we took it for granted. And I I, I mean, I didn't because I wasn't really part of the franchise back yeah. then, but yeah. I do know what the the community was like back then, um, just because I'm part of it now. She has incredibly skillful writing, uh, which she showcases in this book as well. Attention to detail characterization is incredible that's something that's really important to me mm-hmm. um especially like with that i mean that's also why i think she would do fantastically with the recent ones like remakes etc because her characterization yeah. is so good oh yeah um you know they've done such a good job in those remakes as well like she may, she's incredibly engaging with her with her page to page kind of uh, ex- like reading experience And she gives fans um, of this this series, um, yeah, and and of you know zero hour, I I've said a bunch, but yeah, overall, like I think if you are a Resident Evil fan, I think these books are a must read, like every single one of them are, even the bad ones, <laughs> <laughs> um, because because there, there's something in there for everybody. Because I, I don't think we went through a, a a single book without having a lot of good to say about it. Like even the yeah. ones that are at the bottom of our list you know it wasn't like watching you know the 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 Anderson verse you know it, you know where it steadily just devolved into chaos like as we <laughs> got further further down the list with these you know we always had something good to, to say that the the like the the deeper we delved into uh, into the world of survival horror that SD Perry gave us and it was fantastic.
1: It's a really good point, I think. Uh, we have all had a lot to say on all of them as we've gone. Um, it's been a great series to do as well because we've had a guest in every time. So, you know, we've had a variety of different opinions. But I think everyone has, as you said, had positive things to say about every book that they've talked about, really, which is nice. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a fan of the Periverse, certainly at this point. I'm glad that we've read them all. Uh, it was a really enjoyable experience Zero Hour sits at a weird spot for me because as I say there's a lot about this book that I like there's a lot about it that arguably puts it right into sort of top tier for me I think the writing is some of the best be that descriptive uh, pacing characters all of these done, things are done really well I think the story is a little bit lacklustre it is a shame that we aren't going to get any more from David Trapp and so on and we couldn't get any in this it did feel a little bit like she just specifically wanted to stick to try and true to be true to the game this time um, which ultimately yeah means the story is a little bit flat and a little bit uh, too straightforward of an adaptation of all things as, as it as it goes um, yeah but still regardless of that it's still one of my favorites absolutely I had a really fun time reading this uh, a really fun time with the series uh, Renton what's your conclusion on I know you haven't necessarily read all of them at, uh, Zero Hour at least and are you inspired to continue reading the books that you haven't read
0: yeah it's um, reading obviously Zero Hour and City of the Dead and Umbrella Chronicles that I've read so far um, mm. it's definitely inspired me to read more of the original ones like Caliban Curve and Underworld I'm really looking forward to reading what those ones are like uh, I mean, if when it comes to novelizations based on game franchises or film series or anything like that, there's very few that I've actually enjoyed a lot. I mean, obviously, I've enjoyed random ones like the novelization of *Revenge of the Sith* which was one of the best film novelizations I've ever read, and in this case, the, I think S. D. Perry's kind of novelizations of the *Resident Evil* series and her own take on it. Uh, one of the best game novelizations I've ever read and I know that's quite a grand statement to make considering how many different novelizations we've had of various game series but I genuinely really enjoy her writing style and it's, it's making me excited to read the other books and I'm going to be kind of binge reading them over the next few weeks and rereading them over and over and in a way I'm kind of sad that I didn't discover this sooner I mean, technically when Zero Hour came out I was actually still in my early teens so I should have had time to read it's... And I've I've missed what is it near twenty almost twenty years since this came out, and I've missed all that time yep. to possibly read it. And it what it makes me even more sadder is like we've said, this Perry's kind of motivation and reason to continue the series doesn't appear to be there. She's not really kept up with it, as as said. But with the amount of different stories we've had, and we've had the soft reboot with Resident Evil Seven, and we've had the remakes come out, the scope for her to start again and maybe even pick up from seven or one of the others is is there it's just whether she's got the drive to do it but this vision of her I I really want to see how she would take on Resident Evil 7 especially because I mean you're not just dealing with like the inner thoughts of like say Ethan or Mia or Jack you're also dealing with that conflicting voice in the background that's controlling all the mold monsters you've got that yeah um, we've got almost that dynamic and it'd be a new thing that we've not seen in her novelisations and that would be an exciting thing to see and it's not going to happen I think but I'd love to see that but I'm looking forward to reading the rest of her her series
1: I think for what it's worth as well to just add one last thing in because I did as I say had a quick look through some interviews that she's done just before this just to see if she mentioned anything about doing any further books and I think she has said that she would be more than happy to do more if she was contacted to do them. It's not really on her, is it? It's kind of Capcom have to agree to do the license and do an adaptation and that kind of thing and supply her with whatever she needs. I think she had a really good time writing Resident Evil, and I think that comes across in a lot of her work, be it the completely original books, that do feel like a delight in their own weird and wonderful ways. And something like Zero Hour, as we've said, where she's clearly a big fan of Rebecca, which is why she put so much soul into it. Yeah, I think she'd be happy to come back to Resident Evil, but uh, it's all kind of ball in Capcom's court, really. But there you go. Well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors, our Patreons and our listeners. Join the 1st Age H-Bray Discord server to become part of our community and hear the show early and unedited. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and more. All of these links and all of our content can be found at faspraypod.com. You can listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes and all good podcasting apps. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review where you can and spread the good word. Don't forget you can support the show by picking up some merch or at patreon.com for forward slash fa spray pod for as little as one dollar a month in our next episode we jump from the library to the home cinema as we return to film club to give our first reactions to the brand new CGI production Resident Evil Death Island thank you to the panel you can follow all of the Pueblo people individually I'm at Siniac underscore one two three Steve is at FB Steve was taken James is at Moist Owler OFF and Resina is at Retina 8719 and finally thank you for listening and have a good week this book didn't have plague crawlers or lurkers well they got a mention and uh, no inferno of hate, hate so it's a 0 out of 10 <laughs> <laughs> That's part <laughs> of Resident Evil
2: Zero, though.
1: So it's all <laughs> Resident <laughs> Evil Zero out
2: of ten. Yeah, uh, I mean that's the way some of the fandom look at it, right? <clears throat> mm.
1: <laughs> Take what though. Uh, worth noting as well. This can be in a bumper. This really made me want to play Resident Evil Zero. I haven't played in ages, but it really made me want to play the game again. So yeah, this. Is so uh,
2: you're going to stream it for first aid plays? Am I right? Am I right? right. Everybody. Nice plug. Yeah, nice yeah. Plug, yeah, plug Yeah, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, tune in live at insert time here to see. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding, I'm
1: kidding. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. We were with the bumper right in. Uh, <laughs> now we can all stop recording. Thank you, everyone. Yeah.